we're back like Paul Newman in Killa style. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of everything weird, mostly movies. Mm -hmm. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me as always is... Billy Martell. And today we're coming with you... Not with the episode we wanted to do. Unfortunately, no. The idea was to have on the original co-host of this show, back in the first form of this show, Brendan Jesus, who I did this show with for about 10 episodes before we stopped that endeavor. This was supposed to be the first of our guest spotlight episodes. Yes. Where we have a guest come on with a movie that they're excited to talk about, and the three of us have a sort of roundtable discussion. Yes. And unfortunately, it turns out we're a little bit technologically impaired. Yes. The tech setup did not work, mm-hmm. uh, so it will just be Billy and I. Yeah. I really wanted Brendan to be our first guest because he was the originator of the show. Exactly. It was his idea to do a podcast in the first uh, in the first place yes. back then. And originally we were going to talk about the movie Mother, which was the first movie we talked about on that podcast. Right. So it was going to be a big old sort of nostalgic trip. Yes. It was going to be very thematically resonant. Yeah. Very historically resonant. For people of all generations, this echoes throughout the halls of time. Yep. This is our big fan service episode. But Brendan watched a movie that I had seen previously, uh, a little bit before him, Mm -hmm. that I also loved. And we decided to talk about that, a movie called Deerskin. Yes. And uh, I had never heard of the movie. Well, I heard you saying, I watched this, we may talk about it on the podcast someday. I I really want you to watch it so we can talk about it. And then suddenly, Brendan watched it out of nowhere, and suddenly he was like, yes, let's talk about this! Yes! Fuck the past! Let's talk about new things! Well, even once I, the first time I saw Deerskin, as I do with a lot of movies that I really enjoy, yeah. I get on Facebook and I'm like, hey, you should check out this movie. It's weird and alien, alienating and you yeah. probably won't like it, but you should watch it. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, we were, we, we got Deerskin. We, we all watched it. I watched it. Everybody watched it. We were all ready to go. And that's when the technology fell apart on us. So instead of an episode with uh, a guest star... And mother, you're getting no guest star in Deerskin. <laughs> and Deerskin. So, so <laughs> very briefly, yes. Deerskin is a French. I'm going to say it's an art house comedy. Sure, I think that's the best way to describe it. Because I say it's art house because it has meaning and symbolism. Yes, which is not something you'll get in like uh, grown ups. And it, yes, and it does not follow the basic three act structure that most comedies would follow plot wise. No, and it's uh, very strange. It's extremely strange. Obviously, I have heard it described as so many genres across <laughs> the. If you look up this movie up on the internet, you will find it described as everything from a comedy to an art house to a horror movie. I think art house comedy is the best way to put it. Yes. It's directed by Quentin Dupieux, who a lot of people will probably know from his movie Rubber, Mm -hmm. about a killer tire. Yes. And very briefly, Deerskin is about a man who gets a deerskin jacket Mm -hmm. and becomes obsessed with it. Yes. 
And that is pretty much all we can say. Yes. <laughs> before we get into the spoilers, I will say I want to pick a bone with the Amazon description of this movie. Okay, what's the Amazon description? The Amazon description describes it as a movie where a man picks up a jacket that seems to have magical powers. And that is bullshit. That is total bullshit. <laughs> there is not a single point in this movie. There's a lot of strange, weird, otherwise it wouldn't be on the show, bizarre things that happen in this movie with this man's obsession with this jacket. There is not a single thing that happens in this movie that I ever thought could be construed as magic or sorcery of any kind. No. Maybe at one point that I'll point out. Okay. But, All right. Um, so very briefly, we believe on 1,000 Wives of Weird that movies are best experienced going in knowing as little as possible. Right. So we want to tell you whether we recommend this movie or not before we start describing what happens. Exactly. Billy, would you recommend Deerskin? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this movie. It's not a movie that I would watch more than once, probably. Yeah. Because I think that a, a big part of the experience of this movie, and uh, I think probably why Brad felt the need to remind you of why we structure the episodes as the way we do, is experiencing it the first time. Absolutely. It's, it's very much a movie that a part of the fun is... Where is this gonna go next? <laughs> yes, in a very fun way. So it, it, the best. This is actually an art house film. I, I I usually have a hard time recommending art house movies because they're so niche. Yes, but this movie is uh, just over an hour long. Yeah, it's it very short. Seventy six minutes. Yeah, it is one of the tightest art house films I have ever seen. Uh, and there are some art house short films that make you feel like you're sitting there for three hours. This feels like as its length. It, it's it's exactly what it what it says on the tin. And that's something that should be praised. Uh, yeah, Depew knew what he had. Yeah, he knew how far he could stretch this idea. Yep, and he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly. It's if you enjoy. If you're one of those people who likes Twin Peaks for the kookiness of Twin Peaks, yes. this is a movie for you. If you were disappointed that The Return did not have that same kookiness that the original Twin Peaks did, then you can watch this to get <laughs> get, yes. the, get the rest of that stuff. There's a lot of really bizarre... All the humor in this movie basically comes from... Just the oddest, stupidest things happening, yes. and just the characters just kind of rolling with it. Now, obviously, I would recommend this movie because we've already mentioned that I was very up on it after you seeing it. You were excited it. about it. Yeah. I have now seen this movie three times right. in about the space of a month. Mm -hmm. My initial viewing, my viewing for the podcast sure. to take notes, yeah. and I showed some friends. And whenever I have to take notes for a movie, it's always my worst time watching that movie. <laughs> Sure. Uh, when I did Repo Man, I never had so little fun watching Repo Man. <laughs> well, you took an like an elephantine amount of notes for Repo Man. True. Yeah. But even this, uh, it, uh, just writing out the plot, it sucks to have to stop a movie and be like, okay, here's how I'm... Or to think like, okay, how do I describe what's happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. I still love this movie. I loved it the second time I saw it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is an actual funny movie. 
Yeah. Which is surprising, one, given the language barrier. It is in French. And we are dumb Americans who only speak English. Yes. And mm-hmm. two, because it is an art house movie, which is not known for being a knee slapper. <laughs> exactly. But this is a funny movie. And yeah. even knowing... Like, I get excited for parts where I'm like, he's about to say this, and it's going to be <laughs> hilarious. Because the lead actor does such an amazing job. This is the guy from The Artist. The, uh, Jean Dujardin. Yeah. Um, and I, you told me that before I watched it. And even then, I turned it on, and I completely forgot. He is—he transforms. He's incredible in this. Yeah, everyone's incredible in this. You should definitely watch it. It's All a right. phenomenal film. So before we get into discussing the plot, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Quentin Dupieux. Okay. Uh, as I said, he's mostly known for Rubber. Yeah. He also did a movie called Wrong, and I watched those two movies in preparation for this movie. Okay. And those movies. I was curious how this stacks up to the rest of his uh, oeuvre. This feels extremely different. Okay. Rubber and Wrong. And granted, I watched Rubber after I saw this. So I was looking for more meaning in Rubber. Right. And I think I divined some. I think there's some fake outs in that movie. But Rubber also, and looking into some more about the writing process and the creation process, it does feel like, and especially Wrong... Uh, feels like a lot of, like, let's be weird for weirdness sake. Sure. Still enjoyable to watch. Still an interesting experiment. But this feels much more deliberate. Yeah. yeah. This feels okay. like there's definite meaning to it. Gotcha. I will say there are a couple moments in the movie where I still think that they did do weird stuff for weirdness sakes. Just like sometimes... Again, in the original Twin Peaks, Lynch or the other directors involved would do weird stuff for weirdness sakes. The llamas, everyone. Uh, like, there would, there are some pockets of that. But I do think overall, there's more of a, uh, there's a focus there. I don't necessarily have a problem with weirdness for weirdness sake. Sure. As long as it's executed well. Sure. Yeah. Quentin Dupieux uh, was 44 when he made Deer Skin. Mm-hmm. He started out and still creates music, electronic music, yes. under the name Mr. Oizo, or Oizo, <laughs> uh, and he got into filmmaking through music videos, as did many directors. Sure. The movie begins with a series of people looking into the camera and saying, I swear to never wear another jacket as long as I live, then throwing their jackets into a car trunk. I will say, uh, apparently in France, the movie was just called Deer. Okay. I yeah. know the French title is Le Dame. The The Deer, yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So that 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 is also interesting for some uh, shots that happen later in the movie. Yes. But uh, okay. So continue on. So never to wear a jacket as long as I live. I swear. And then we cut to uh, the star Jean Dujardin, as I mm-hmm. said, who's known for the artist. Yes. He was also uh, he's known for the OS. 117 spy films, mm-hmm. which I really want to see, especially after this. Of course. They're sort of, they're based on books, but they're sort of more of a parody of the spy genre. Oh, okay. Well, this guy does comedy very well, both oh. in this and in The Artist. Yes. He's um, hilarious. And he's in Wolf of Wall Street. Great. I've, I've, oh, that, I know I have seen Wolf of Wall Street. It's Wall Street I haven't seen. Yes. Oliver Stone's Wall Street. Uh, we see our protagonist, George. An mm-hmm. aging man, beard mostly gray, bit of a paunch. Mm-hmm. In a public bathroom, he takes off his jacket, folds it up, and puts it into a toilet. And presses it down with his foot. He presses it down with his foot. He tries to flush it down, but obviously it doesn't <laughs> go down. 
It yeah. just overflows the toilet. He's, just, he's killing that jacket. Right from the beginning, we are seeing that George wants to get rid of an old idea. Yes. An aspect of himself. But yep. he has trouble getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Because George is a fucking moron. George is the stupidest man in, <laughs> in possibly any movie that we've watched. It's, he's so dumb. It's almost like someone is playing a dumb and dumber character straight. But still comedic. <laughs> he is literally the stupidest person. I one one thing I will say is that all of the characters in this film are very lower class and it's probably the lowest class French movie I've ever seen. Most of the other French movies I've seen are like Cleo from 5 to 7 where everyone's very rich. Yes. Uh, or um uh Orpheus was French, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, we watched Orpheus and and uh everyone was very high class and high flute except for the one guy who was specifically lower class. Uh and so there's there's a there's always this very sort of high class association with French, so that even when I'm watching this movie where everyone's lower class, <laughs> I can't help but like listen to the I'm listening to the French accent. And I'm immediately like suddenly a cigarette holder's in my hand. I'm wearing a beret. Uh, so I it just I just found that interesting from uh, my experience with the French film industry. Another interesting side note: mm-hmm. in Wrong, William Fickner plays a character called Master Chang who has Mm. a monologue, part of which is about how you get a new jacket and are very excited about it. Yeah. But the excitement wears off over time, and you appreciate it less and less, and eventually maybe come to take it for granted or neglect it and abuse it. Yeah. So This director's got a thing for jackets. He's got a thing for jackets. I also think, because in that monologue... William Fickner is has just told spoilers for wrong. Okay. William Fickner as Master Chang has stolen the main character's dog. Okay. In sort of a almost a minority report pre-crime thing <laughs> where he owns a company where they steal people's pets uh-huh. before they start to abuse them so they appreciate them before the abuse can start and somehow he makes money off of this. Wrong is very strange. Wow. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's a thing about relationships, which this movie, I believe, is also partly about. Sure, sure. George is traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's leaving the city. He goes out to the country and arrives at a man's house. He's mm-hmm. there to buy a deerskin jacket. 100% deerskin. There are a couple notes I took that just before we get to that scene. Uh, as he is leaving the jacket behind, there is an additional shot of the jacket sitting in the overflowing toilet. And there is scary music associated with the old jacket. The The soundtrack, the score throughout, is yeah. very intense. Very intense and very repetitive. But in, I love it. In, I, an, in an intentional way. It's, it's, like, it's repetitive like The Graduate is repetitive. Uh, and it's also... Because this movie does eventually morph into a horror movie. Eventually. But once... The carnage starts, mm-hmm. the music stops being sinister yeah. and starts being much more upbeat. Yeah, because it's, 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 we'll get there, but it's not a horrible, horrifying moment for him. No. And therefore, it's not really horror. Exactly. Uh, as far as the movie, because the movie only cares about what this character cares about and nobody else. And I, I, I wrote down just because I was writing my notes as I was watching it for the first time. That him leave him leaving the jacket behind and the way that he left it, it felt like he was leaving uh, a bad relationship or an addiction, which yeah. he is. Yeah. Although we will come to find that the relationship was most likely bad because of George. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> 
fuck George. I'm George. Sorry. Uh, and this jacket that George gets, the Beast, is fucking ridiculous. Oh my god! It's it has very <laughs> long fringe down the arms, across the breast, across yep. the back, mm-hmm. and the most. It's definitely not current fashion. Oh no. Uh, very seventies. George just looks like he has seen breasts for the first time. He literally does. Like the he he he's like trying to come up with words, but he's like breathing too hard. He has to take a seat. Yeah, he has to take a seat, and he's like, sh- show show me the back. <laughs> like it's it's so it's so funny. <laughs> right off the bat, like this movie is so. It draws you in very quickly, yeah, and very quickly establishes the rules for its reality, which he does in the other two films I've seen. Like sure. it, it, he sets the tone very quickly. Yeah, um, he tries on the jacket, and I didn't notice this on my first watch until the very end. Okay, the jacket does not fit him. No, no, it does not really. I mean, it's it's it fits about as well as those. No, it doesn't fit him. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't. It passes okay, like if his arms are down. Yeah. But as soon as he lifts his arms up, you see it's a little too short and a you little too see tight. His, you can see his shirt bunching underneath it and everything. It's, and, it's, yeah. And for this ridiculous, ill-fitting jacket, George pays uh, 7,500 euros, yeah. which is a little over 9,200 in United States dollars. Well, he's, he's, he's short by 50 euros. Yes. Uh, and the guy says, I don't care. This is the most money I've ever seen in my yeah. life. <laughs> Which makes me think that maybe Georges saw the jacket on on uh, uh, the internet somewhere. Yeah. Saw the listing and called the guy and was like, and the guy was like, uh, I just want like maybe a hundred bucks for it. And he was like, make me an offer. I will pay you 7,000 euros. <laughs> and the guy was like. Yes? Are you sure? So, like, I don't... Yeah, I think no, that, I definitely I think that get the George feeling. insisted on paying this much. No this. one would pay, <laughs> even for, like, a designer jacket, 7500 of anything <laughs> is a bit much. And as a bonus, the seller throws in a digital video camera. Can't beat digital, he says. Two important things to note. Yeah. One, the jacket was somebody else's. Yes. George did not make it. And he did not buy it himself firsthand. No. And two, the digital camera is an afterthought. Yes. It is an accompaniment of this style that George has purchased. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He now, just he just grabs the camera and 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 he doesn't even want it. He's he's like, why? I have no use for this. He's yeah. like, ah, take it. And I think this is super important to the meaning of the film. What do you think the jacket represents? The jacket, I think, I'm I'm not so sure about what I think about this movie because there's so many things in this movie that could mean so many things. Mm. I've kind of settled on a theory just by, I guess, uh, elimination, uh, process of elimination. I've settled on my favorite theory. Okay. But I'm not so sure about it being the right one. Okay. Uh, Well, instead of doing a dump right here, do you just mm want to be like, to point at things as we go through and be like, I think this means this. I, I yeah, I think I think that might be better for my theory. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a special idea of what the jacket represents? Not really. Right I'm sort of gonna bring it up once we get a little bit further in. George goes to an inn. He does. Uh, like sort of a bed and breakfast type place in a mm-hmm. small country town. He rents a room for a month. 
And this is a very backwater, out-of-the-way town. The clerk is surprised that he wants to stay there for a month. Right. He says, you're going to be lonely. However, we realize George must have spent all of his money on this fucking jacket. Probably. Because he doesn't have the money to pay for a room. He says, there's something wrong with my card. It'll get sorted in the morning. What can we do about this? I used to work at a hotel. They do not let you stay if you don't have a credit card to guarantee. No. But this is a backwater establishment, so they're like, just give us something valuable to hold you on. So he gives him the wedding ring. Immediately hands over his wedding ring as collateral. George is systematically getting rid of his old life. Yes. Yes, he is. In his room, George is obsessed with his jacket and his appearance. He proclaims he has killer style. Killer style. He calls it stoking, which sent me down a rabbit hole because I'd never heard that word before. Oh, I didn't notice that. He 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 says stoking in French, and then the 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 uh, the subtitle says stoking. So okay. There's no translation, and I looked it up online. I was looking at everywhere. It doesn't exist. It's a <laughs> slang term that no one has ever said. Sweet. And he just said it. he's like stoking. Fuck you, movie. <laughs> you sent me down an endless Google rabbit hole. But I, I, that is now that is now an official term for 1,000 Wives of Weird. We are the most stoking, stoking podcast, podcast in the world. Uh, he also fools around <laughs> with the video camera a little bit. Now, Billy, I we couldn't get Brendan on. We could not. But I have a surprise guest. You do. Because this movie is about deer skin, right. I called my friend... Ralph the Deer. Okay. And he, he's here with us. Ralph, okay. why don't you come, in, come on in? Hi, Billy. Hi, Ralph. So you enjoyed this movie? Uh, I did. I enjoyed it very much. Even though it's about killing my brethren to make clothes? <laughs> no, it's about a guy who desires to become one of you. Mm, no, I think it's about the systematic killing of deer. <laughs> it's, well, see, well it's... let me ask you something. Okay. Hold on, I don't know if this is a profitable bit. I was going to go in a direction that I don't think is why. Let, let's say this. Okay. What if someone made a movie called Cat Skin? Uh, okay, what, what would be the plot of Cat Skin? Um, a man eats some cat skin and he gets a sick tummy <laughs> and a cat grows in his tummy and it claws his way out. That sounds like an amazing movie. We should definitely cover that in the podcast. Damn it! <laughs> I'm going to go back to the Glen that I frolic in and Aww. think a little bit about this. Okay. I'm going to get you. If it helps any, I also like Silence of the Lambs, which is also about a guy who collects uh, people skin clothing. So, Well, Silence of the Lambs scared me because <laughs> deer are like... Two notches above lambs evolutionarily. Sure. We're a superior race. Sure. Um, I mean, if we could, if we had thumbs, we would systematically eliminate lambs because okay. they're inferior. All right, now you're starting to, to get on my bad side here. Well, you're on my bad side already, <laughs> Dr. Jones. Uh, why am I Dr. Jones? Because you're Jones in... To go to Indiana to pick up the pain delivery that got misdirected by Amazon okay, that about, I was trying okay, to send. Okay, okay, okay. I'm about to kick your ass. Go back to the Glen. <laughs> I'll go back to uh, Scott Glenn, who played uh, uh, who played Lawrence Fishburne in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. 
Uh, I can see I can see why Silence of the Lambs might have scared you then. George leaves and makes a call to his wife. Just a side note, the hotel clerk is the tiniest TV I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Uh, George leaves and makes a call to a wife. Mm-hmm. He tells her he's gone. He's gone far away. Yes. She doesn't care. He says, do you uh, want to know where I am? She says, the point is that you don't exist to me anymore. You don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. The call ends, and this is one of the few times where Georges seems actually unsettled. Yes. Despite being an idiot, Georges main, maintains control over most of his encounters. He, yeah, yeah, no, he, he is presented as someone who's very believable. Yes. Despite... Being the, the worst, worst con man, the worst ever. con man ever. If the parents in seasons of belief were the best con people ever, <laughs> George is the worst. George is the fucking worst. But he just magically has a very trustworthy face. Yes. Well, actually, very few people actually believe George. That's true. I guess. Um, and George is probably more unsettled about the fact that someone doesn't care about him in just general terms, like. How could you not want to know where I am? I'm lovable. So he then, actually throws the phone away. Again, systematically destroying his old life. Yep. He wants to change. He wants to be a different person. Mm-hmm. This is what the jacket is about. Speaking of which, when I went to college, I I was leaving my family behind in Maine. I went to college in Pennsylvania, and uh, I trying to come up with some way to give myself confidence and to start afresh and be a new person yeah. in college, I brought with me a cowboy hat and decided that that was going to be my new thing. And then I arrived in college and never had the courage to wear it outside. That is probably for the best. It was definitely for the best. Um, I was already the weird creep who wandered around everywhere in a trench coat. I didn't need that on hanging over me as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> college Billy was a creep. Well, you managed to get married, so... I did manage to get married, that's true. As you said, he throws away his cell phone. Mm-hmm. He enters the bar, which is only occupied by a female patron and a female mm-hmm. bartender. Mm-hmm. And here comes my first laugh-out-loud moment of the movie. <laughs> They're talking between themselves. Yeah. And George looks at them and says, Talking about my jacket? And they just <laughs> look at him. And then he firmly states, You're talking about my jacket. He's such a needy fuck. <laughs> And here's the first point I noted. I fucking love Jean Dujardin's performance. Yeah. He is so good in this role. Yeah. And Georges loves attention. He does. He wants the women to ask him questions, even though he's a loser whose wife wants nothing to do with him and just spent all his money on this ridiculous jacket. And is now continually spending more money he doesn't have on drinks. Yes. Which the movie never brings up. (laughs) Well, it's implied that the bartender denise seems to be comping him drinks yeah um the woman uh the female patron mm-hmm. asks him what he does for a living and he says he's a filmmaker he up, up uh, he has been using the digital recorder somewhat yeah just just playing with it shooting out the window like you did when you were a kid and you got it and you got the family camcorder for a day mm-hmm. uh but yeah so he's like that is they're like what do you do and, and, and he's like I'm a filmmaker, because technically, he has been shooting something. Yes, as he says later, a guy who films is like a guy who f- makes a film. Right. <laughs> and this is important. 
George decides on a whim that he's a filmmaker. Yes. It's not about passion. It's, he doesn't care. He doesn't want to make art. No. He wants to give an appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, George does not seem to have a job and he's not working. No. But he wants to seem as cool as his jacket. Right. As, as he thinks his jacket is anyway. The jacket, and I think we both agree on this, mm-hmm. is sort of a metaphor for filmmaking. Uh, yeah, I, I went a little bit more broad. I was thinking about the jacket as being a metaphor for, uh, being important and being special. Okay. Uh, the filmmaking is something that facilitates the jacket. Uh, by saying that he's a filmmaker, he's, he's saying that is my way of keeping the jacket. That is, that is my way of, of living up to the jacket. I am a special boy who deserves a special jacket. I am the kind of person who spent $7,000 on a jacket that makes me special. Mm -hmm. Because who does that? Filmmakers, Kanye West, uh, Jay-Z, those are the people who spend $7,000 on a jacket, so he must be special, and therefore he is filmmaker. I can see that. Yeah. Like you said, I went a little bit more specific. Like, I see it as someone who's into filmmaking for... The style of it, the look, the appeal, like this presence of like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I make films, I'm cool. Yeah, no, definitely, There, that's definitely an aspect of the way he makes movies anyway. And yet, Georges mm-hmm. immediately takes offense at the idea that he's not a filmmaker, or mm-hmm. that he doesn't make real films, because as George is walking home, yep. the lady patron drives up beside him. Yep. She offers to be in his porn that he's obviously making. She's like, are you looking for bitches? <laughs> if you need bitches for your porn, I'm yeah. available. I'm still hot. I used to do porn. Yeah. Um, and George is offended. Yeah. George he's, is he's like very, he's very upset. He's yeah. like, I make real movies. You just decided you were a filmmaker two minutes ago. And again, it's all about the look, all about the appearance, the like, prestige. Don't, don't you see me? <laughs> Obviously, I'm a filmmaker. Look at my jacket. Look he, at my he, killer style. He actually says that. Look at my killer style. Obviously, I'm a real filmmaker. Yes, because that's what filmmaking is to some people. Yeah. Um, the conversation turns hilariously casually aggressive. It gets really aggressive <laughs> uh, as they just start berating each other and insulting each other. It's like. <laughs> Goodbye, loser. Beat it. <laughs> but not. But just like they're just talking. Like it's just. Yeah, they're not yelling. At very each other. clipped. Yeah. It's just George rarely, rarely has a positive encounter with a female. George uh, speaks to me as as a child. Like he's just he's like getting a jacket like that and being obsessed with having an entire outfit of one thing, which. Yes. Somewhat spoilers, he continues to accrue more deerskin objects as the movie goes on. It's something a kid would do. Like yeah. a, a child would, I want to be like a cowboy. I want to be like Daniel Boone. I'm going to dress like this. Uh, on, to- like, on top of that, like getting a camera. Ooh, I'm a filmmaker. The way that he interacts with people. And, and even that just sort of like, bitch, but, but. Like, like sort of talking under your breath like that. That's such a child's way of, of fighting with someone. Yes. He, he's, and this is another thing maybe that, that ties it in with, I'll, 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 I'll say my overall idea for the movie right now, okay. even though I said I wasn't going to. My overall idea is that he kind of represents the attitude of, behind a lot of auteur filmmaking. Is this sort of like, I am such a special boy. I am such a special boy and I make special things because they are me and I am special. 
And that's a very childish way to look at the world. Yes. And that's why a lot of auteur filmmakers and a lot of people reject auteur theory because it seems to prop up these kind of people. Mm. And I kind of saw the film in general as kind of an indictment of auteur theory saying, Okay. Oh, yeah, you're so special. Your your movies mean so many things. You're so special. I, I Yeah, I want to spend hours talking to you about what your films mean. You know, that, that sort of thing. But you ultimately, ultimately see many auteurs as sort of uh, the emperor with no clothes? Yeah, I think that that is kind of ex- the point that this film is making. And that okay. is definitely an argument that people have about auteur theory. I go back and forth on auteur theory. I mean, it's some auteurs are great. Some aren't. Some aren't it, but a lot of them, even the ones who are great, can tend to treat other people very badly because they've been told for so long that they are so special. Yes. And uh, so that is definitely a problem with the prevalence of auteur theory. Also, the fact that auteur theory can be applied to people like Michael Bay and Tommy Wiseau. True. Kind of takes away from it being such a special thing. But, you know... It's a thing that has been debated. It will continue to be debated in film circles. We're not going to resolve it here. No. But I do think that there's at least something about the movie that is, is yeah, doing an Emperor Has No Clothes argument to auteur theory. Gotcha. But uh, I could be wrong. And I will soon get into my overall theory about the jacket. Yeah. Back at the end, Georges films his jacket. He interviews the jacket. <laughs> He tries out different voices for the jacket. Yes. Uh, until settling into a sort of deep, gruff sound. Yeah, very sort of unemotional, uh, sort of almost gruff detective voice. And let me be clear. Mm-hmm. Whenever we talk about the jacket speaking, yes, it is almost always clear that it is Georges speaking. Yeah. His, Sometimes his face is away from the camera. Or but, it's out of focus. Or it's out of focus. But you can usually see a movement of his mouth. Yeah, usually. Uh, George wants to fuck his jacket. Yes, definitely. It's, I think it's important to note that the jacket immediately asserts dominance. Mm-hmm. It is in control. Style now is the only thing that George is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here is where I first got the lightning bolt that this movie... In addition to my other couple theories, sure, this movie might just be a fuck you to Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Which I am all for hearing more about that. We will get to it soon. <laughs> I am not a fan of Quentin Tarantino. The next day, Georges tries to withdraw money from the ATM and is unable to. Yep. Uh, he eats some food out of the trash. <laughs> and a child is staring at him. Yeah, he's being watched by a child. Mm-hmm. Now, even after three watches, I don't know what the fuck the kid's about. Yeah, that's this is one of those things where it's like, I think that I understand parts of the movie, but there are parts where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck some of this shit is. Yes. Or in some of it... It seems to be pointing towards entirely different interpretations. But this child is just there. The best thing that I can think of is that this child represents a viewing audience. Mm. A young movie viewer who is watching auteurs, maybe like Quentin Tarantino. Maybe. And is buying into the shtick. Is buying into, or at least is watching. Just just watching. And absorbing. Maybe even just passively watching. Another uh, option could be that it's another aspect of Georges himself. Yes. It's another aspect of George himself from his past life looking at him and being like, 
because it, it it does tend to look at him during moments where he would rather not be observed. Yes. Like when he's eating out of the trash. <laughs> like, that's a moment nobody wants to be looked at. No. Nobody wants to be looked at when they're eating out of the trash. But uh, that is the moment that this kid pops up and just stares at him and will not answer any of his questions. What is the least expensive item of food that you would eat out of the trash. Like, if you just saw it in the trash. (laughs) If you saw a really nice cut of steak just in the trash, would you pull it out? It depends on if there was stuff attached to it. If it was, like, on a paper plate, and the paper plate was on top of the trash, and the steak was on top of the paper plate, and nothing from below had managed to touch the steak, I might eat the steak. What if you saw... A McDonald's filet of fish. Oh God! Like full in the garbage, <laughs> and you were pretty hungry. Like you weren't starving, hungry. but you yeah. were like, "I haven't eaten all day." That's a good filet of fish. It's not in the wrapper. Yeah, it's sitting on it, mm-hmm. sitting on what looks like a melted nest of gummy worms. Oh shit! Um, I might like grab a finger, a really, fingers worth of it. If I was really hungry, it's a filet of fish. <laughs> If I it's was fast food, fish. if I was really, really hungry, the what I would most go for is like a, a candy bar still in the wrapper. If okay, I could find well, that, yeah, that's the cheapest that's, thing that I would go for. That's not really even a thing. Yeah, what if you saw an unpeeled banana? An unpeeled banana. See, this comes with some caveats because I the last time I ate a banana, I puked horribly. Oh, and ever since, bananas smell like puke to me. So I have like this psychological connection with bananas. This that I can't banana has been doused in Dracar Noir. <laughs> what is that? It's a cologne. Oh, okay. It's a cologne that was very popular for a couple decades. <laughs> okay. Um then I'm definitely not eating it. What a pussy. <laughs> I have been I have been very hungry in my life. I have I have gone very, very hungry on certain days. And so I I I know that I am at any point just a couple of hours away from eating something out of the garbage. Okay. Uh, I So you really I, I'm, identified I'm, with this aspect of George. <laughs> yeah, no, I could see myself grabbing a, a sandwich, a half-finished sandwich out of a garbage. Uh, George steals a book about filmmaking. Yes. Uh, then he goes to a bank and tries to get some money. And again, it could not be overstated how fucking amazing Jean, du- Jean Dujardin is. And how pathetic George is. Yes. It's like, uh, just, just front me $500. It's not that, it's that much. It's not that much. Oh, he, come on, you asshole. Uh, he finds out that his bank account has been frozen by his wife, which yes. is understandable after he withdrew 7,500 euros. <laughs> and he flips out, uh, yeah. swearing suddenly and loudly and then storming out. And it, yeah, and it's he. Uh, so much has come out over the past couple years that has made men like us aware of the experiences of women. Uh, and this bank teller is a woman, and so many people he swears at in this movie are women. Uh, it is so upsetting to them that he is screaming and swearing, yes. and it's it made me feel so sad for them again. <laughs> George has no well he has no good relationships with anybody aside anybody. from the, not even really the jacket. The relationship with the jacket is toxic as fuck. Toxic as fuck. But 
especially with women, yeah. George is either... I do not bring this up as a criticism of the movie. I bring this up as some, something to notice. Yeah, and I think this is deliberate on the oh, movie's yeah, part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, George is a fucking asshole. George is an <laughs> asshole, and he treats women terribly. Yeah. If he's not outright hostile, mm-hmm. he is extremely manipulative. Yeah, absolutely. Um... George winds up back at the bar. The bartender, Denise, is played by Adele Hanel. Mm-hmm. I believe she's, that's... She's great in this movie, too. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And she stars in uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, good. Yes. A movie I've been really interested in seeing. I think I've moved past the stage of my life where I get really excited to like watch prestige pictures. <laughs> okay. Now it's more like, give me some violent exploitation garbage. <laughs> Uh, I have ironically moved past the age where I I want all of my movies to have violent exploitation garbage, and I've gotten to a point where I look, really look forward to prestige pictures. Understandable. We've yeah. had different journeys. <laughs> we have. Um, you've watched a lot more mainstream pictures. I have. I've been a lot more like hoity-toity shit. Yeah. Um. So now I'm really getting into the grungy stuff. I will say I I did forget this note earlier. The 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 scene where he stole the book from the bookstores on filmmaking. Uh, made me sad because I suddenly realized how long it's been since I've been in a bookstore and I really want to go in a bookstore again. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, she's also in two movies that I'm interested interested in seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nocturama mm-hmm. and Guy Madden's The Forbidden Room. Fun. And she's also fantastic in this film. I've only seen one Guy Madden movie, which we will definitely be talking about in the podcast. Which one have you seen? Dracula. Oh, okay. Pages from a Virgin's Diary. I've also only seen one Guy Madden film, Mm -hmm. uh, The Saddest Music in the World, Mm -hmm. where Isabella Rossellini has legs made out of beer. Uh, We find out that the lady Georges got in an argument with last night is Mm -hmm. a prostitute. Which makes sense. Georges lies. He says he has a big crew. They're in Siberia. And Denise mentions that... Filming some fight scenes, Filming says. some fight scenes on a glacier. Yes. <laughs> which I don't believe Siberia has glaciers. I have no idea. Denise says that her passion is editing. Yes. Which is a strange passion to me, but I assume it must be the passion for some. I love editing. Really? Editing is one of my favorite aspects of filmmaking. Okay. Honestly. Uh, it's, it's, it's tedious as fuck, but it, it, it is so gratifying when you can make something really work. And this is how we know Denise is true blue. Yeah. Uh, She is interested in an aspect of filmmaking that is not glamorous. True. That is not sexy or necessarily enjoyable for long periods of time. And she does it in a way that is completely... um, She does it for fun. She does it for fun. She re-edits movies, which is something that I've always wanted to do for fun, but I've always kept myself from doing... Because I was like, ah, that's not profitable. You fucking edited together a theatrical performance of Frankenstein. I did, but that was during quarantine. Okay. Before Pre-quarantine, I would never have done that. But as you said, she edits movies that already exist, mm-hmm. like Pulp Fiction. She put it in chronological order. Yes. And says that now it sucks. <laughs> Which it, is great. <laughs> it really sucks. Yeah. So let's put some pieces together. Yeah. All of the pieces of George's outfit will either be secondhand... Mm-hmm. Gifted, mm-hmm. stolen, or bought with stolen other, money. Other people's money, yes. George is obsessed with style. Mm-hmm. He has no substance. His <laughs> movie has no substance or meaning. I'm starting to see where you're going with this. Combined <laughs> with the very specific shout out to Pulp Fiction, yeah. and it's sucking once the gimmick is removed, 
this could all be a fuck you <laughs> to Quentin Tarantino. Right back to when George uh-huh. chose a gruff voice for the jacket with Quentin Tarantino known for gritty, tough, grind tough films. characters. Yeah. And again, George, whose outfit will be cobbled together throughout of stolen and manipulated out of other people bits. Holy shit. Which is what Quentin Tarantino does with his movies. All of his movies are that, yeah. If you have if you've seen Kill Bill and liked it, then watch Snow Lady Snowblood. Or and watch anything else. If you've seen <laughs> anything else. <laughs> if you've seen Pulp Fiction, watch uh, A Band of Outsiders by Godard and mm-hmm. Kiss Me Deadly by Aldrich. Oh my god, just watch Kiss Me Deadly in general. Yeah. And we could uh, interpret the child as a young viewer watching Quentin Tarantino not knowing any better. Sure. Um, or, or there's another aspect to this. It could be a commentary about the quest for originality. It could be. Or it could be, if, if we're going with my theory about the auteurs, it could be that this is a very specific shout-out to one of the most popular and enduring auteurs in, and profitable, I should yeah. say, auteurs in uh, modern cinema. Because he's, he's, he has written that line where he is both incredibly profitable but also incredibly respected. Yes. He gets the critics and the audiences yes. every single time. Usually. Yeah. But going back to the originality thing, mm-hmm. no matter what idea you come up with, no matter how unique, mm-hmm. it's probably been done. Probably. Uh, George eventually gets an outfit of 100% deerskin. Mm-hmm. It's 100% original. But he didn't come by it honestly. No. It came from elsewhere and from others. This rings true. And technically it came from deer. Yeah. And this rings true, especially given how unique Depew's films are. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a person who strives for originality, but he still has influences such. Yeah. And also, as we'll see later, no matter how original you are, someone mm-hmm. can always come and rip you off. Absolutely. And also, he's, uh, I will say, a lot of, I look through this, what was his name again, sorry? Uh, the director? The director. Depew. Depew. I look through his uh, IMDb, the other films that he's made, other than the ones that you mentioned, are almost all about the filmmaking process. Yes. They're almost all about someone who has a camera, and then something weird happens, and they decide to make a film out of it, or they decide to make a film out of it, and then something weird happens. It's almost all of them, except for except for maybe the two movies that you talked about, and maybe those are about that too, are like dissecting the idea of there being meaning in filmmaking at all. Which I think rubber ties into that a lot. You think so? Okay. Yes. Either way, mm-hmm. George is not a filmmaker. Otherwise, the jacket would fit. Right. And also, we another note of how stupid George is... She has to explain to him what an editor is. Yes, she he, she, she he she, she's like and he's like and how did you put it in order with a special machine? She, she's like no with a computer like everyone else. And there's a great callback to that later <sighs> after Denise has started editing for him. Yes, where she's like I use my special machine. She talks to him on his level. Yeah, but George makes it obvious he doesn't understand anything about film, mm-hmm. and as he walks home. The jacket berates him for talking about his film job. Asks if he's trying to bang Denise. George yeah. protests. Yes. The jacket seems to be jealous. To clarify, is George talking as the jacket being yeah. jealous of his relationship <laughs> with a woman he knows he does not want to have sex with? George is not only stupid, he is deeply disturbed. <laughs> yes. 
Or and maybe because it's an art film, he's just a normal person. It could be. <laughs> and this is where Georges says, a guy who films is like a guy who makes a film. Sure. Why not? The next evening, Georges studies his book about film. Mm-hmm. And um, the jacket begs him for attention. Yes, it goes, George. 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 <laughs> Which, again, is George flipping through a book on filmmaking, just saying George, his own name, with increasing volume, trying to distract himself from the book he is reading. Trying to get his own attention. <laughs> it's so bizarre it's and hilarious. It's so good. And I don't know... I don't know if you've done this at all, uh-huh. but sometimes I'll find myself muttering to myself, George. It's so fun to say. <laughs> uh, I think that would probably be a second movie watch <laughs> effect. I, it hasn't happened to me yet. And this is where the jacket tells George his greatest dream. Mm-hmm. The jacket is extremely domineering. Yes. Not caring at all about George's interest in film. No. Only wanting to talk about itself. Right. The jacket's dream is to be the only jacket in the world. And now George, who has shown an interest in filmmaking, mm-hmm. now turns around and says his greatest dream is to be the only person in the world to wear a jacket. Yeah. And now here's where I think the movie begins to take on another meaning. Okay. Given George's obviously bad relationship with his wife, mm-hmm. plus the already toxic relationship with the jacket, yes. plus the jacket's insane wish to be the only jacket, and his insane wish to be the only one wearing a jacket. Makes me wonder if this movie doesn't also operate on a as a commentary about monogamy. Of mm. uh, polyamory is not my thing, no. but there are people who are into it. Sure. And to them the idea of being with one person mm-hmm. does not make sense. Sure. The same way that how could it be the only jacket? Like how how does that make sense? That's ridiculous. Sure. And I imagine this. Think of anybody who has to deal with George. Okay. Imagine you are George's wife. Yes. And you are stuck in this relationship with George because cultural norms specify that you can't look outside the marriage. Sure. Okay. I I think this is this is something that is not coalesced as much as my interpretation for the jacket and the filmmaking aspect. It's just something that you noticed. It's something that seems to be a definite part of the film. Sure. Given the monomaniacal quest to be mm-hmm. the only one and how bad George's interactions with every woman he meets is. And how jealous the jacket is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and also... That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Or it could just be about the confines of marriage and like, okay, I'm stuck. And to get out, I have to go through this painful process Mm. where at first George is the victimizer. Mm -hmm. I imagine his wife suffered greatly. I'm sure. But now he is being oppressed by this jacket. Right. And he is being defined by this jacket. Yeah. Any sense of his self, his own self-interest is being erased by the jacket. So in the morning, George goes down to the front desk to tell them he still doesn't have money. Uh, when asked for collateral instead... Well, wait, it's a different guy at the bar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, George mentions his wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man at the desk tells him that the clerk committed suicide. 
<laughs> which there was an earlier scene which we brushed over where yes. they did hear a bang. They wake up in the middle of the night. There's a bang. Yeah, and I thought that that maybe because I was still operating under the illusion that the jacket had magic powers, thanks Amazon. <laughs> I assumed that maybe the jacket was like reaching out and attacking people or some shit, like Christine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like so, this woman insulted the jacket. Must kill her off or something like that. It's surprising Stephen King hasn't made like. The spook jacket. The, the evil jacket. Picture this, if you will. Okay. An alcoholic writer. So it's an alcoholic writer with you, Stephen. Gets a demon jacket. Gets a demon jacket, right. Okay. And um, the alcoholic writer is, of course, played by Nicolas Cage. Yes. <laughs> and there's some casual homophobia. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's your favorite movie ever? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but the clerk, uh, the, the owner of the inn, who this, the man at the desk now is, yes. uh, says he can go check the corpse <laughs> and say goodbye in, if he wants. He left it in room one. It's in room one. Oh, God. And the effect for the corpse is wonderful. It's so funny. It doesn't look lifelike, but no. it's close enough. It's in the uncanny valley. It looks like... You know those bits where someone in a Looney Tunes cartoon will punch someone in the face and their face caves in? That's what it looks like. It looks if like someone took a shotgun to the center of a Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. Holy shit. Because there's a big fucking hole in this there's man's T-zone. There's no blood or anything. It's just a big hole and his, and his skin is all like crumpled in. And on top of the corpse is a 100% deerskin hat. Yes. Which George immediately steals. <laughs> and he also gets his ring back by sucking it off of the corpse's finger. Yes. He, then immediately hands it to the owner as says, collateral. He says, oh, gross. And then starts working it off with his teeth. George meets up with Denise mm -hmm. and tells her that he talked with his producers. And they don't have a creditor. They don't have a creditor. Whoops. <laughs> Editor. <laughs> but before he can give her the job, which his producers gave him permission to offer her, mm -hmm. uh, she needs to take off her jacket. Right. It's not sexual. He makes that clear. Yeah, because she immediately thinks this is a perverted yeah. thing. And when she asked about a script, because how are you going to edit a film without a script? Right. He says he needs money. <laughs> So I can't even afford to print out the script right I can't now. afford to print out the script. I can't afford to get more tapes. Which, if it were me, I would have said, well, I know where the Office Max is. Let's go right now. <laughs> well, if it were you, you would have been like, you're an insane person who knows <laughs> nothing about film. Well, true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Denise ends up giving him over $500. Yes. Denise reviews some of his footage, shots from Mountain, shots of George draping the fringe over the oh, camera the lens. Draping the fringe of the jacket over the camera lens. As Again, he's shooting into a mirror. Like a child. And imagine, uh, someone has given you footage to edit. Yeah. And it is footage of them draping jacket fringe over a camera lens. Mm -hmm. Are you unsettled? Is this... <laughs> Because to me, like, I feel like I would be disconcerted by this. I, I feel like I would, like, I, I was, I was watching her watch it and I was waiting for a moment of, oh, fuck, 
I've thrown in with a crazy person. But she never, she starts smiling. She's excited about it. Which, of course, does make sense later. But at the time, I was like, what is wrong with him? (laughs) I would be creeped out. I would be like, oh, I've been in contact with a psychopath. I've given them money. Yeah. They know where I work. Yep. This is not great. Yeah, exactly. Georges takes Denise's money. Instead of paying for his room, he buys a pair of deerskin boots. 100% deerskin boots. Fuck this guy. (laughs) Uh, We see Georges meet a young man. Uh, The man is there to help with the film. Mm -hmm. He's going to be in a scene. He thinks it might be an audition, but he's cast immediately. He's cast immediately. And he's brought jackets. As requested by Georges. He was asked to bring all of the jackets he owns. And the scene is that he will put... He brought nine of them. Yes. Uh, he will put the jackets in Georges' trunk mm-hmm. and say, I will. I swear never to wear a jacket as long as I live. Which brings us back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. And we then see a montage of him doing this with many actors and performers that he has hired uh, in including the three we saw in the opening. Exactly. So it has literally come full circle. And it always ends with him giving them some money and then driving off. And then driving off. There's a great meta bit where one of the the participants asks him, isn't your movie weird? And George says, it's not weird. It's amazing. (laughs) And I said it more emphatically than he does. (laughs) He sort of almost mutters it. It's, it's not like, weird. It's amazing. It's not weird. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it should be obvious to anybody. Yeah. Exactly. By his hat and his jacket and his boots that his movie is amazing. <laughs> uh, when filming the last guy of the day, mm-hmm. George once again sees the kid. After shouting at the kid a bit, mm-hmm. George picks up a rock and clocks this kid in the face. He literally throws the rock at the kid. The kid does not, still not moving, gets hit in the head with the rock. And falls over bleeding, which was probably my favorite gag of the movie. <laughs> and uh, I, I coming to the end of this movie, the more violence was on screen, the more I enjoy it. I, oh, it gets funnier as it goes along. I like think it's... I might have a problem. <laughs> I don't think you do because yeah. that is clearly the intent of the movie. Oh, it is the intent of the you movie. You can tell by the mo- the music change. The movie literally. Says that in like as we'll get to it, but like they literally say, the more blood you can have on screen, the better yeah. this movie will be, and uh, and the closer you are to the action, it will be better. And I felt like such a sick fuck, but they were right. Yeah, they were <laughs> no, absolutely right. Well, we'll talk about it when we get. To yeah. It. Oh, the deer's back, Billy. Oh, hi. I've uh, I've thought a lot about what you said. Okay. And I want to ask you: Have you ever seen the movie Bambi? I have seen the movie Bambi. Did you laugh when the deer's mother died? <laughs> Did you find that humorous? <laughs> no, I didn't. She was based on a real deer. Was she really? She was based on Abraham Lincoln's deer. A- Abraham Lincoln had a deer? Yeah. And it had a baby named Bambi. Oh, really? The mother's name was the racial slur, so I can't say it. <laughs> but I thought that the deer in Bambi were wild deer. Well, that was changed for the book. Oh, that okay. the movie was based on. A lot of people don't know it's based on a book. <laughs> I do, because I went to Deer College. You went to Deer College. I went And to, that's how you know these things. Yeah. I went to Antler U. <laughs> okay. I got a full ride scholarship. Guess what for? Well, what, well, what for? Chemistry. <laughs> 
Oh, cool, cool. It's hard to swirl around the test tube with hooves. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. But technology has made great strides in allowing deer to uh, mm-hmm. pour baking soda into vinegar and make a <laughs> volcano. Well, I am, I'm glad that you were afforded so many opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is the governor, so I get a little bit of special treatment. Oh, I see. Where, where is she the governor of? Uh, Mozambique. <laughs> She's the governor of Mozambique. Of the entire country. Of the entire country of Mozambique. I didn't realize they had a, a countrywide governor. Well, it might not be an official position. <laughs> It might be like when you're the the leader of a parade, like oh, you don't okay. have political power. Okay. Although I think you should, if you can be trusted <laughs> with a parade, right? I think you can be trusted with uh, fiduciary matters. Sure, or, sure. Uh, ecumenical matters. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. I think the Pope should be a deer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, given the given the church's stance on whether or not animals have souls, I think that might be a conflict of interest. I just want to ask you one thing. Okay. Have you ever heard of a deer molesting a child? <laughs> uh, admittedly, I have not. All right. Good day, sir. <laughs> Why don't you meditate on that? I will. I will. I will. I will pray on it. It's wonderful that you allow uh, tick-ridden deer. <laughs> Into your apartment to verbally berate you. Yeah, remind me to spray this whole place down when when this episode is over. Uh, Later, George sits outside of a movie theater, which is... we've missed my favorite line. Okay. After he beams the kid with a rock, he gets in the car, and like every other person he's talked to, the guy comes up and says, hey, I need my jackets, you have my jackets. And he says, and he turns to him and says, I have proof on film that you swore never to wear a jacket again you're fucked yes that is <laughs> one of the best lines in the movie <laughs> again he doesn't say it emphatically or like gotcha he's like you're fucked and then he just drives away <laughs> george is almost always at like a five he's at a very neutral tone he's very neutral and casual and in george's mind this is the perfect plan like yeah. if you say on film you'll never wear a jacket again <laughs> That's fucking legally binding. It's legally binding. Take me to court, motherfucker. You'll lose. (laughs) So we see George sitting outside of a movie theater. He follows a man Mm -hmm. while filming him. And later at the bar, Denise has seen the footage and she loves it. She loves it. She explains to him. Well, she says, I kind of see where you're going, even without the script. And he says, well, where am I going? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like... Well, it's about sort of like the shells we put on. The... Yeah, it's a mockumentary about the jacket, and the jacket represents the shell. Yeah. And this is the moment where I, I wrote down the note, something like, uh, the film is mocking me <laughs> for finding trying to discern the reason behind the film. Now, as we've said, this kind of fits into both of our interpretations yes. in that it could be mocking him. It, it could be mocking the idea of him being someone who creates films that are all style, no substance, and waits for the audience to fill in the yes. substance and then take credit for it. But it also seems to be, in a meta way, mocking the audience for looking for meaning in this bizarre fucking movie anyway. Yeah, and that's possible, but... Yeah. And again, maybe this just speaks to Depew's 
efficacy as a creator. Sure. Where it feels so much like there's meaning there. Sure. But it could maybe, also... Maybe he's just fucking with us. Again, it's entirely possible. I think Rubber is sort of predicated on the idea of like, I'm going to tell you one thing, but I actually mean another. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, And again, as you're saying, it's a movie we both love, Mother... Yes. Is almost a skeleton of a film that you can project so much on. Yeah, and, and that is the best way to enjoy that movie is without knowing what the actual filmmaker said about yeah. it. So it could be, and uh, we talk about this a lot too, mm-hmm. is meaning a movie more than halfway. If you're yeah, doing yeah. the work of the movie where you're putting all of like, you're doing all of like, oh, I see the symbolism that's not really there, mm-hmm. this could be a commentary on that. It definitely could be. It definitely could be. Uh, yeah, so it, 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 who knows? We couldn't find any information, I don't think, about what the filmmaker no. has said about it. I don't think he said anything about what he wanted the film to be. He's just like, here it is, enjoy. Usually the filmmakers who you most want to hear from are the ones who do not do director's commentary or... Right. Or say anything like about yeah, it. exactly. Or just, or even if they do film director's commentary, they're like, I liked working with him. Uh... <laughs> One of the big uh, deviations from that, I highly recommend the Get Out commentary. Okay. Where Jordan Peele is, it's sort of like a dream commentary where he goes through and he's like, this is why I did this, this, and this. I Mm -hmm. wanted to do this, but decide against it. So, George sort of puts on Denise like, should my movie be about the shells that we wear? And she's like... (laughs) I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I guess. Maybe. Uh, eventually, she gives him more money, but she, she can't withdraw anymore. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this pisses George off. So he starts screaming again. He starts screaming, and he storms off. He's... And he says, he, he, well, first, it's really funny, because he, he, he screams as loud as he can, shit! And she's Man! like, she's like scared for a second, and then he's just stock still. Turns to her and says, ciao, and walks away. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) And again, imagine... I suppose you could look at any one-on-one interaction with George Mm -hmm. as being in a relationship with him. Yes. And just how, again, the idea of monogamy and the idea of, like... Imagine if you had to be with just George. I think... being in a relationship with George, no matter how many people in it, is going to be hell. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> but George is an interesting character. He is. He's absolutely shitty. Yes. And if you were in a polyamorous relationship where different people could meet different needs, mm-hmm. George could be fun. He could In be. a limited capacity. In a limited capacity, yeah. I'm just saying, I, I can't fully penetrate it, but I believe there's definitely themes and mm. symbolism about relationships in the movie. I'm terribly sorry, but I have to run to the bathroom. Sure. I'll be right back. Uh, we see footage of the man George was following outside of the theater. Mm-hmm. George is trying to get his jacket without any luck. Mm-hmm. The jacket compliments his filmmaking later, but says that they're no closer to their goal. He said this is a good tracking shot, but... Don't say what you're about to say. But... Yeah, and you're no closer to achieving our goal. I'll be the only jacket in a thousand years. <laughs> exactly. That's what he says, yes. Um, George points out it will take a long time, mm-hmm. but he has an idea. Mm-hmm. And here's where, normally I would say the movie takes a hard shift, <laughs> but it feels so natural. It 
it's it, that is the thing. This movie takes several shifts, like just the shift from a man recovering from a divorce to I'm now a filmmaker. The shift from that to I need to make sure I'm the only one wearing a jacket in the world, and then this shift to this. There's several moments where you could say the movie takes a hard shift, but they all feel natural. It's all somehow. smooth. It's all a f- smooth transition. Even though I defy anyone to have seen any of this coming. Yeah. <laughs> George pulls down the ceiling fan in his room. This is so great. It's amazing. <laughs> he takes one of the fan blades mm-hmm. and sharpens it by dragging against the asphalt as he drives his car. I should say he rips it out of the fan first before yes. he does these. not dragging a full fan around. And he makes a weapon sharp enough to cut a watermelon. Yes. This, both the murder weapon itself and the method of creating it, are so fucking clever. They're so clever. I can't believe it's not been done before. And I wrote down, oh shit, is he about to murder some folks? Yep. (laughs) Which turned out to be correct. Yep. This eventual, where it's obviously going, is a uh, devolving into violence, is also a hallmark of Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Where he relies a lot on... uh, Excessive violence, some could say. Especially in the conclusions of his films. Yes. Like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not a lot of violence throughout most of it. And then suddenly, all of the violence right at the end. So I don't know if I mentioned this. He eventually, his blade is sharp enough to cut a watermelon. Yes, he did. And it's a beautiful shot where it's in the car's headlights and snow is falling. Mm -hmm. It's a well-shot movie. We we haven't talked about like the technical aspects of it. But Depew knows what he's doing. Yes. Uh, it's a very technically competent film. There's it a is. lot of nice shots, especially towards the end with the snow stuff. The film uh, quality is very good. It has yeah. a very specific look to the movie. And as always, films are collaborative process. It's the actors, it's the directors. Of course. But some credit for the performances has to go to the director. Yes. If only for standing back and letting actors do what they're doing Even best. Even if that's all he did. Yeah. Uh, he... This is a fantastic movie all around. He did a fantastic job. Whoever's fault it is, it came together quite well. Uh, We see two teens Mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere on a snowy night. And they're arguing the difference between gardeners and landscapers. And this is another thing that points to Tarantino. Okay, I really wanted to get your take on this. Yeah. Because that's Tarantino dialogue. This sort of mundane conversation about differences. It's, it's, It's his sort of thing. Here's here's the world's smallest violin for those waitresses. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know do you know what they call a Big Mac in France? A, big ma- uh, a, a quarter pounder with cheese in France. Yeah. Right. Right. That is... That's true. Exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. And Good point. I will tell you what made me aware of this, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure where I heard, of, heard it from, mm-hmm. but in Steven Soderbergh's The Limey, Mm-hmm. There are two characters, which came out roughly around the time of Tarantino's rise. I don't know if it was after Pulp Fiction or before Pulp Fiction. Okay. But even Reservoir Dogs had that sort of sort of conversational thing where it's like, yeah. I'll tell you what Like a Virgin's about. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but in The Limey, two thug characters have a discussion about sliding scales and pay wages. And someone pointed out, like, oh, this is Tarantino dialogue. He He's aping Tarantino where it's... These two gangsters having this mundane conversation, but it's still interesting to listen to. Right, right. Um, yeah. So now, since I read that, I'm hyper vigilant of like, of, of, this of, is Tarantino. Of Tarantino dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Which this is what it is. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. George approaches them and asks them if he can help realize his dream. I, I will say one more thing before we move on. I 
I, since I wasn't thinking about Tarantino when I was looking at it, I thought maybe it had something to do with the diff, because he said, I film things that makes me a kind of filmmaker. That's his entire claim to the job. Yes. They're talking about the differences between gardeners and landscapers, their titles, and what the titles entail as their duties. Yes. So I thought maybe that had something to do with it, but that was such an unformed thought compared to what you had. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's the ever-present question of how far are you meeting the movie. Right. Are we projecting things onto the movie? Yeah. Uh, How much is intentional? Right. But, again, there's a lot to be said for, going back to Mother, creating Mm -hmm. this sort of scheme that you can... Sure. Wrap in multiple interpretations around. Sure. So he says, need to, will you help, help me, me realize my dream? Realize my dream. Now, let me ask you a question. Yes. We're alone in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. It's snowing. Yes. It's night. Right. As we often are. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone approaches us. Sure. They're French. <laughs> okay. They're wearing a very cool jacket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they ask us if... We can help realize their dream. How gung-ho are you? <laughs> Not very, I have to say. You don't want to help someone realize their dream. I have to admit, if someone is approaching us at night in the middle of, of nowhere wearing a jacket, I'm going to imagine and says, you want to help me realize my dream. I'm going to, my mind's immediately going to jump to sex stuff. Let me amend this. Okay. The person approaching us mm-hmm. is in a wheelchair. Okay. They are a child. Oh, they are bald, <laughs> and they are hooked up to an IV. Holy shit. Is anyone with them? No. They're just alone. They're just alone. Okay. And they want us to help us help them realize their dream. I would probably be, be pretty gung-ho under those circumstances. Okay. Yeah. Uh, their dream is sex stuff, though. <laughs> well, after they say that, I would be like, well, then in that case, no, I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Last scenario. Okay. Still in a wheelchair. Okay. It's Danny DeVito. He seems relatively fine. Okay. Aside from being Danny DeVito. (laughs) Still hooked up to an IV. Right. Still bald. Uh Uh-huh. Asked us to help realize his dream. I would say something like, I'd be be sure to help you with that if I can. What is your dream? Sex stuff. I'm afraid I can't help you with that. You're telling me if Danny DeVito came up to you uh-huh. and offered sex, yes, you would turn him down? Yes, I would turn Danny DeVito down for sex. You would not fuck or be fucked by Danny DeVito. I would prefer not to be fucked or fuck Danny DeVito. I would do it for the story. <laughs> well, then that is your uh, prerogative to make that choice. I am I am good without that story. I, I have a story just because he came up and asked. No one would believe you. I would have DNA evidence that I could take to court. In case there's a defamation suit. I could take a picture of him with my phone. But no one will know that he wanted to fuck you. If I have tangible evidence, I won't say what that evidence would be. For propriety's sake. Uh Uh-huh. But you can imagine. Right. DNA evidence. I get it. Yes. (laughs) Jism. I get it. (laughs) That came from my butt. I get it. (laughs) I guess he would have to fuck me. Yes. Unless I... Like collected it afterwards. Yeah, you, you could you could do a reach around. Yeah, I yeah. could get a Dixie cup. <laughs> so, 
something so dainty and incongruous about you just like getting into a Dixie oh me cup. and Danny DeVito just fucking hot and heavy and like having a Dixie cup yeah, having a Dixie cup in hand for blackmail material for blackmail material there's something so bizarre about that detail I love it next we see Denise coming home she has received a package from George mm-hmm. she knows it's from George because he has drawn a picture in pen. A very crude picture of him and his outfit Yes, on the front of it. It contains a tape and a mm-hmm. note that says something terrible has happened to the producers. Yes. And the movie cannot go on unless she she gives him more money. Yes. She watches the tape and sees George murder the teens with the fan blade. Yes. Now, here's one of my biggest questions about the movie. Okay. Does Denise know this is real or mm. does she think it's fake? I think... Based on the movie's ending, she doesn't care. That is ultimately true. Yes. No matter what happens, she is she is just like, this is wild. Yeah. This is unique. Yes. I need to I need to take control of this. I feel a little bit seen by the film. <laughs> Which again, not really commentary that attaches to any of our previous analysis. Yeah. But this now becomes commentary about the role of producers and studios in film. Yes, definitely. And also an, an an analysis of film fans as well. True. Like just the just the like, oh man, it's so unique, it's so interesting. Oh no, there's blood in this movie. That's great. That makes yeah. it even better, more blood closer to it. Which is what she tell which is what she tells him after seeing the footage. She says, yeah. I love the direction this movie's going. It's so wild. You need more blood. Yes. You need more you need the action to be closer to the camera. And she says this when she comes visits uh, George at the hotel room. George is frantically trying to get a stain out of his jacket. Yes. Clearly not because he's afraid of being caught, but because he doesn't want to ruin the jacket. Exactly. Yeah. And she brought George a present and apologizes about not having the money. Yes. And that her, uh, but she got an advance from her boss. And mm-hmm. another one of my favorite lines is when she says that, George goes, Your boss, I'm your boss. <laughs> So completely self-absorbed, he, he forgets so stupid that even that's where he met her. Yeah, was at her job. <laughs> it's like no, my boss at the bar. Yeah, uh, the president is the president is one hundred percent deerskin pants. Yep, uh, and this is where Denise says she needs more images, more blood, and closer action. And this way, she can make a teaser, which can get more people to give them money exactly for the movie. And now she is perverting. <laughs> The vision of George's film, which is <laughs> the triumph of his jacket, to yes. now being about the murder. About the murder, and about the movie, and about the, the money. And now we get a beautiful montage. Oh my god. Of George murdering several people. He is dressed fully in deerskin, and he has a, a huge plastic smock. Yes, a big plastic mac, I believe the British call it. Okay. Um, it's a rain poncho. The best kill of this montage is obviously... A woman, after he gets done with one murder, a yes. woman drives up to him and asks him for directions. He's, he says, sure, I'll help you. Walks up to her car, jams the fan blade down through the car roof into her skull. It is so good. It is so, it's a fucking beautiful moment. It's a fantastically gnarly kill. Canton Dupu, even though he is not making technically a horror film, understands the horror trappings well enough Oh, yeah. That this... And this is almost the end of the movie. There's probably yeah. about 16 minutes left at this point. I, I um, was so shocked when I looked at the at the 
the running time and yeah. realize we were almost at the end because I was like, this is just getting started. If the whole movie had been this, yeah. this would have been an incredible piece of schlock or art house schlock or whatever. And it would have been much more successful. <laughs> Probably. But even just this short, short sequence where he's like, yeah, let's try out horror. Yeah, let's, let's try out slasher films. Let's just kill some people. Yeah. Um, it's so good. And he's just following people around in the street, just not cutting, even cutting them down so quickly and so abruptly. He's not even asking them for their jackets anymore. No. He's not offering to pay. He's just killing. Slash, slash, slash. And after every death, he takes the jacket off of the corpse and collects it in the trunk of his car. It's, it's uh, again, no concern about... Uh, being caught. Yeah. No concern about uh, leaving the corpses around or that, or, and this is why I don't think it matters whether or not she thinks it's real or not, because this is such a small town. We've been shown that it's a small town over and over again. He's leaving bodies everywhere. Yeah, There's no no way she hasn't seen this on the news or heard about it on a paper. But again, again, this is how it can equate to twin. Quentin Tarantino, sure. where he is blatantly stealing from everywhere. <laughs> and everyone's like, brilliant, brilliant. It's a brilliant. masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I wrote, um, I wrote the, my note during this bit was uh, fucking crazy. <laughs> but so well done. So well done. Uh, George eventually makes his way back to the inn. He kills another guest. And here is yes. the one point where maybe the jacket is operating on its own. Because George is sleeping. Mm-hmm. And the jacket calls to him, but goes unanswered. And he's asleep. And we this is the only point where we cannot see his mouth. We are yep. not sure if it's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is the jacket actually speaking? Either way, it's clear that the style has overcome any other importance. Yeah. Whether it's value for human life, whether it's value for credit. Whether it's, it's realism. It's all about fulfilling the need of style. Yes. We then cut to him in a quarry. Yes. He hires a backhoe to dig a hole, which he buries the jackets in. And he doesn't just bury the jackets in. He beats the jackets as he's buried. He is angry that these jackets existed. Again, this could be the jacket overcoming his own persona. Yeah. But he is livid at these jackets still being there. And he buries them all with his bare hands. And it could go back to the idea of relationships, monogamy, this idea of like, maybe I'd like to wear another jacket, mm-hmm. but because I can't, I'm fucking pissed about it. Or maybe it's that aspect of when you get into a monogamous relationship, there's this weird guilt you feel for past relationships. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, but you're my true love, but if you're my true love... Why did I have these feelings or these experiences with other people? Which could go back to the beginning. He's trying to destroy that jacket, trying to make it disappear from view. Yeah. But it can never fully do that. Right. Exactly. So he buries the jackets. Denise brings him 50,000 euros. Father sold his butcher shop to finance (laughs) the film. And now... She's running the show. Suddenly there is a shift in the power balance. She's the producer. Yeah. She's handling the funds and guiding Georges. And he's like, so is it my money or... <laughs> he still doesn't Yeah, he's still just concerned. <laughs> he's like a dog. It's just like, there's food. The food for me? Yeah, is the, is the food for me? And she's like, well, only if it goes into the film. It's because for the I film. do not trust you to maintain the financial integrity of this project. And she reveals that she knew from the beginning, because who wouldn't, Yeah, especially if you know anything about film... If you have an ounce of uh, brain in your body. That Georges is full of shit. Yes. 
And she tells him he's alone. Mm-hmm. And he admits he is, but so is she. And she says they can be alone together. And here, once again, we get this relationship idea of even though Georges is bound to this jacket, mm-hmm. he has killed people for this jacket, mm-hmm. he still feels alone. And it also ties into an alternate theory I have about the movie, that this is a remake of Rankin Bass's masterpiece, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay. The movie is all about deer. There are... Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned, uh, which becomes more interesting towards the end of the movie, is that throughout the film there is a repeated shot of a deer. Yes. It's the same shot every time throughout the movie of just a deer looking into the camera, looking away. There's even an aspect towards the end of the movie that seems to seem like George is jealous of deer in some way. Mm. He is not part of the deer. He can't be part of the deer games. No. Uh, in this scene, Denise says, we can be alone together, which parallels the song from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where they say that they will be independent misfits together. Gotcha. So really, this is all a giant fan fiction AU piece about Rankin Bass. Who is the Herbie? Who is of the Herbie? Denise is Herbie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she is constantly taking a hammer and chisel to George's <laughs> teeth. We didn't go over those scenes, but yes, they're they are plentiful. But before they can take the film world by storm, mm-hmm. George needs something, and this is a brilliant bit of physical acting by Jean du- yes. Jean Dujardin. If you didn't he, know, he was a brilliant physical actor from the artist already. True. Yeah. Uh, he goes. I need, I want, I, I can't remember his exact, exact phrasing, yeah. but he holds up his hands and is like, just motioning to her like, it's obvious what I need. And he sort of yeah. flexes them and he needs gloves. He, he needs, needs 100% deer, deer skin, skin gloves. gloves. Not synthetic. Can't you see his killer style? Denise is hyping up George now. Yes. She is in full producer mode. Where she, it's is like, in, she is uh, absolutely... Uh, I can't remember words today. Enabling? Enabling. She's absolutely enabling his obsession. And again, uh, this is that new wrinkle of the producer aspect where it's like, you're the artist. I'm going to capitalize on that. I'm going to pump you up. Mm -hmm. And as we're going to see soon. It's that infamous quote from the former CEO at Disney, or the former shareholder at Disney, who said uh, that they are in the business of making money. Yes. Every once in a while, in the pursuit of money, they may occasionally make art. Yes. But it is not their focus. Uh, the pair drive out deep into the country. Well, first, they get the, the deerskin gloves at the store. He puts on the gloves, and the guy says, we have an extra pair that's synthetic. synthetic. And she corrects and says, can't you see his, his killer style? The yeah. first time that phrase, that repeated phrase has been used by another character. And that's why I said that she is hyping him up. Oh, yeah. She is feeding into his bullshit because mm-hmm. he is a creator that she can exploit. Yeah, he, he's now, the one... Ironically, despite the fact that everything about his, him is an affectation, she he is now the one with the unique property that she's trying to exploit. Exactly. And it's a reverse of the situation where she was being exploited. Yes. But in reality, she was in power the entire time. Yes. And this really does tie into the other theories because your work of originality, Mm -hmm. if you want it to be seen by as many people as you can, you need to trust it. You need to make a bond with producers. You need to make a bond with studios. Mm -hmm. You need to 
your work needs to no longer be your own. Yeah. Which George says, like, so you're calling the shots now? Yeah. He has no fucking vision. He shouldn't care. Yeah. But once... But somehow some, he does. But once someone else has their fingers in it, yeah. it's a problem. And have you ever seen... Uh, there's a movie that this reminded me of a lot. Have you ever seen the movie Exit Through the D- Gift Shop? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The the main character of that documentary reminded me of, of George so much. I almost brought that up yeah. uh, when talking about his filming style. Yes. Because that's what... Um, I forget the fellow's actual name, but yeah. in the movie goes by... Mr. Brainwash. That's right, Mr. Brainwash. Uh, and the conceit is that for the longest time, Mr. Brainwash just filmed his life constantly. Constantly. And it would be stuff like George film, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to film the mountains, I'm going to do this weird thing. He, yeah. he was almost a literal real-life version of George. Yes. I absolutely recommend, by the way, Exit Through the Gift Shop. We may cover it on the, the, the show, but it's a very popular documentary, yes. so we don't almost don't need to. And the problem with documentaries is we're really just relating the story. We can yeah. comment on the filmmaking style, the efficacy but, of it. But especially in Exit Through the Gift Shop, we're commenting on the filmmaking style of... of just a weirdo with a camera yeah. who happened to get his material into the hands of some much more talented people yes. who put it together. But it him. is a fantastic film. Check it, it out. It is absolutely a fantastic movie. Uh, so Georges has Denise film him as he frolics on a hillside. Yes. He says, shoot me, shoot me. Runs a little distance. Shoot me, shoot me. And here is where we see really how poorly the jacket fits. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly George is shot through the head. By a man who turns out to be the father of the boy who is following him. And I cannot emphasize enough how out of left field this comes. It's very sudden. (laughs) And now here Mm -hmm. is where my possible interpretation for the young boy. Imagine he's a viewer viewing someone like Quentin Tarantino and being like, oh, this is amazing. This is all original. This is so cool. Yeah. And then they go back and see the source material Mm -hmm. effectively killing the borrower. Mm. effectively killing the stealer, effectively killing the homager. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they see the ingredients of this remix, they're like, you no longer matter. It doesn't, mm. it, it, it's you're dead because I've seen the root and I appreciate the root more, mm. which doesn't necessarily always happen. doesn't necessarily always happen. But it's the only possible interpretation I have for this kid and this sudden killing. <sighs> Aside from the fact that now he has a 100% deerskin outfit yeah. and he is shot like a deer. That is, that is also a part of it. I I think where I was going with it more was uh, I do like the idea of the kid being the audience. Yes. I don't know, but this is just for me when I was initially watching it. Um, Hold on. Let me okay. mention one last thing to wrap it up. Okay. And then we can get into the broader stuff. Okay. After George is dead. Yes. Denise comes. She sells the camera. Yep. She steals his deerskin jacket, mm-hmm. puts it on herself, and begins filming herself. Yes. So go uh, ahead. Officially taking over his mantle. Yes. The way I was looking at it is because he is specifically shot after harming the child, mm. not just doing embarrassing things in front of the child, harming the child. It goes back to my interpretation of the child being a version of himself. Is that what if... Uh, in his pursuit of the jacket version of him, uh, if, of becoming that version of him, of becoming the deer, mm-hmm. uh, 
this child is like a last remnant of a life he could have had from before. The version of him that no longer exists, according to his wife. And he brains it with the rock to get another way of throwing it away. Mm. Like, like he throws away the jackets, like he throws away everything else. And then when it comes back and he is shot, it is because he has effectively destroyed himself. Yes. He is by destroying everything that he was, he has destroyed everything about himself. And he is no longer anything but just a jacket sort of wandering around. And therefore the father who represents the husband and father he could have been kills him. I'm not necessarily saying that that is the truth. I'm saying that that is something that came to me when I was watching it originally. Well, yeah, that's, Uh, but I love that idea of the kid being his audience. That's such, that's a great idea. I don't, it doesn't fit in with my concept. No. And again, we have a very slipshot approach to analysis on this show. Oh, it's more like, these are the vibes I'm getting. These are the vibes I'm getting. This is what um, I'm picking up. I didn't focus so much on the child and the father and the shooting as much as I did about Denise taking the jacket. Which is a significant thing. And I saw two ways to interpret this. Yeah. No matter how original, no mm-hmm. matter how great, no matter how 100% deerskin your outfit is, <laughs> someone can always come along and take it. Okay. And then they can get credit for it. Sure. Even though the movie was his idea, no mm-hmm. matter what... She is eventually going to be the messenger. The minute uh, Tarantino showed up on the scene, ripping off all of his favorite movies, a million people started ripping him off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, A movie we watched not too long ago that we love, Kiss Me Deadly. Yes. Which has the glowing briefcase. Yes. Which Tarantino stole for Pulp Fiction, Mm -hmm. is now only a Pulp Fiction reference. Yes. Any briefcase where you don't see the contents and there's some glow... Mm-hmm. That's now a Pulp Fiction reference, yep. not a Kiss Me Deadly reference. Correct. Um, yep. The other way which to interpret... super weird. Which is super weird. Yeah. Um, but I think that's sort of what... But that's the way it works. That's the way um, it works. Or, going with the producer angle, no matter what, the producer pillages the work that has been created mm-hmm. and takes credit and takes money and whatever. Mm-hmm. There's, and, there's a... Uh, who's the guy? Harvey something. Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein got huge in Hollywood simply because he gave money to the right people. Yeah. He was able to get... He's, he's like uh, DJ Khaled. He got behind enough popular artists that now he be- himself became popular despite being a talentless, worthless, horrible piece of shit. Yes. Yeah. And this is where the movie ends. Mm-hmm. Except for a little piece during the credits where we see a brief clip of footage of Georges filming himself observing some deer. Yes. And this underscores the differences between Georges mm-hmm. and his 100% deerskin outfit and yeah. actual deer. No matter how 100% it is, mm-hmm. he will always be a man. It he doesn't will. come natural to him because he is not truly a filmmaker. Which then could lead into all sorts of things about Amadeus and, and uh, the way that um, the dialogue in that play talks about the difference between the truly gifted and the... And the, the uh, the people who are just um, mediocre, I think yes. is the term used. This, this, the patron saint of the mediocre, as uh, as Salieri claims himself to be at the end of the movie. Uh, you could definitely call on things about that. But yeah, so as we've demonstrated throughout this, 
there's so much you can pull apart. This, this oh, movie's yeah. like cotton candy. You can it's... just keep pulling bits and pieces out of it. Absolutely. And arranging it into various shapes. Who knows if this movie means anything? For all it's... we know, it could be absolute weirdness for weirdness sake. It could be a case of the Emperor has no clothes, but I feel like we both felt that there is meaning in it. There is definitely something that you as a viewer can take from it, even if the filmmaker was just thinking, I'm just going to do some shit. Yeah, and I will give him props if he made a movie that is covert enough to be about nothing, just to be about this dumb idea and uh, fool us into thinking there's more to it. I will say, even if the film is about nothing, I do not regret seeing it. Oh, absolutely not. I still think that it is... I I don't necessarily believe in death of the author. I don't believe that that I think that that idea has several flaws to it. It does. But uh I think that there is something to be said that a to the idea that a work of art is not complete until it is observed. Yes. Uh and I think that that does go for film in in a in a big way. I think yeah. that there there is a lot to be said for audience interpretation. Uh, there is also a lot to be said for meeting a movie more than halfway. Yes. But I think at the end of the day, did you enjoy it? Yes, yeah. we did. Absolutely. So that it, it's, I, it's a win for me. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts? Any other analysis? Any other observations? For Deerskin, uh, just a, re- a repetition that if for some reason you listen to this whole thing without actually watching the movie, shame on you. But yes. still watch it. It's it's on Amazon. It's very cheap to rent. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's, great. it's short. Yeah. It's unique. It's definitely worth watching. Um, I genuinely think that he was trying to get at something, but I, even if he didn't, like, it's still such a fucking great movie. It's just, just watch it to laugh. Just, just watch, watch it to laugh. It's, it's just, as good as a comedy <laughs> as any fucking Seth Rogen or whatever the fuck <laughs> makes comedies now. Billy, do you know what you wanted to talk about next week? Yes. Uh, we talk about uh, celebrating everything weird, but most of the time we do talk about movies. Our last episode of our last uh, volume or season of shows was talking about two TV episodes. I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier on. We talked about a stage show from the independent theater company Star Kid. I want to talk about one of their more recent works and something that connects to something that you and I have talked about a lot. A horror musical. Yes. A horror musical comedy, to be more specific, called The Guy Who Didn't Like Musicals. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's, and if you want to watch it before that episode comes out so you can riff it along with us, it is available on YouTube. Officially available by the creators. You're not stealing from anybody. It, they've put it up there for anybody to watch. All right. Sounds awesome. I can't wait. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, join us next week. We are on... Instagram, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook. Yes. Uh, if you enjoy our show, tell your friends about it. Please do. You can email us at wivesofweird at gmail.com. Send I us recommendations. Send us recommendations. Like our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a YouTube page as well, which occasionally, when I remember to <laughs> upload episodes... Um, we upload episodes there as well, along with uh, Stitcher and Amazon yes. and everywhere else. Yep. Uh, So thank you very much, and Mm -hmm. live with killer style. Killer style.